This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Dare I say the most must listen to sports talk show in all of Acadiana between the hours of 10 a.m. to noon. Very specific, but guess what? It is the honest to God truth. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, we are coming to you live from the 237 Roof Studios, presented by Lafayette Roofing from the roof to the roots of Acadiana. These good brothers have got you covered. So call them up 237 Roof. 237-7663. I've mentioned it before. I might as well mention it again. This is a show today where I'm going to keep it very much guest heavy, but guess what? It's a perfectly good reason is the fact that it's rivalry weekend. We had a great quarterfinal of high school football in the non-select side. The select schools got the semifinals, and they had a lot of fun ones. I want to talk about it, and I also have some really cool guests. I'll break that down for you. A little bit later in the program, I'll say this. The next guest we have in the next segment is Shane Savoy. He'll be on the Arco Equipment Hotline at 11.15. Talk to him not long after the STM Cougars came away with a big win. Appreciate his time. And we'll break it down, talk about the win over St. Louis Catholic. What's going to be coming up next week? De La Salle on tap. A lot of great things we can talk about. And looking at what's going on right now, in like because, again, it felt like we could have wound up having a triple header at Cajun Field. And this stuff's kind of coming through the pipeline, looks to be official. At this point, the LCA Knights, spoilers, will be playing next next Saturday at 6 o'clock for the Division Three state title against St. Charles. That's going to be fun to see that one next weekend between the Knights and St. Charles. It's going to be a lot of fun. That being said, I'm mentioning the fact we had a lot of great high school football in the Acadiana area. Without a doubt, I think we need to kind of give you an idea of what happened last night and what's on tap for next week's matchups. I'm going to go ahead and do that right about now. We start things off with Acadiana High getting a big 34-7 win over Airline, setting up a semifinal matchup against Zachary the Broncos. Win 35-27. Zachary looking really good right about now with a solid victory over Rustin. Heading into semifinals, Acadiana, Zachary, one side of the bracket in the Class 5A playoffs. And then the other side, Houghton beats Mandeville 34-14. Houghton wound up coming with a very wild win over Como last week. It looked really good against Mandeville. And now they'll be taking on Destrahan, who beat one of the powers in Class 5A 
with a last-second field goal. Some big ups to Destran for making it to the 5A state semis. It's Houghton, Destran, Acadian Airline. That should be a lot of fun, both those semifinal matchups. But to me, it feels like Acadiana Zachary is where things will land. And that's going to determine who wins the state title, in my mind. In my heart of hearts. Then you get Class 4A. Lakeshore shuts out Bastrop 57-0. Warren Easton beats Carrico 34-22. Edna Carr beats Bro Bridge 51-14. Neville beats Westgate. Westgate rallying late. Give them give the Tigers all the credit in the world, but Neville is a little too much. 26-24 victors. In Class 4A, those semifinals, it's going to be lit. Lakeshore, Warren Easton, two programs that definitely have a lot of history. And more importantly, Warren Easton, a 20 seed. But they're going to be they're going to be an underdog because they played a lot of really good teams. I was talking with the producer for for Carrier High School football. He said that's going to be a lot of fun. Those two, then Edna Card Neville, of course. Hashtag that should be hashtag as expected. I think, but definitely a lot of fun nonetheless. In Class Three A, St. James beats Brulee 32-13. Union Parish beats Madison Prep twenty to fourteen. McDonough thirty five beats Baker twelve to eight. It wasn't on the baseball field; it was on the gridiron. And Jennings beats Sterlington 39-38. A late score helped Jennings get over the hump. So basically in Class 3A, you got St. James taking on Union Parish, McDonough 35, and Jennings squaring off for a shot at the state playoffs in Class 2A. And then finally, 3A, excuse me, Class 2A, Faraday beats Kinder 40-21. Amy shuts out Lauraville, who just a great story all the way around. Get to the quarterfinals. 26-0 shutout. Amy advances. Kentwood, the Kangaroos, hopping on over to the semifinals with a 47-22 victory. And then Manny beating Pine, 49-21. Class 2A, those semifinals are set. Faraday, Amy, Kentwood, and Manny. That should be a ton of fun. And then Class 1A, Logansport beats West St. John, 22-14. Oak Grove beats Homer, 55-34. East Iberville beats White Castle 14 zip, and Oberlin takes down Baziel 48 to 12. So here's how the semifinals look for Class 1A, and it's going to be East Iberville and Oberlin squaring off on one side, Logansport and Oak Grove on the other. Then we look over at the select schools. All four of these divisions they've already been mapped out, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth. It'll, it'll just a few moments. Of course, Rummel beating Brother Martin 37-27 in Division One action. The other Division One semifinal, Catholic High, Baton Rouge. Or should I say, like somebody else across the basin, Catholic High, Baton Rouge, 14-0 win over John Curtis. Catholic High, Baton Rouge's defense showed up huge in this ballgame, obviously shutting out John Curtis. But a 14-0 ballgame, able to eke out the victory. Congrats to Catholic High, Baton Rouge, 37-27. Rummel gets the win. So, yeah, Rumble and Catholic High Baton Rouge, that, give me a front row seat for that one. And then in St. Thomas Moore, beating St. Louis Catholic 52-21. Thanks a large part to some big performances. Noah Frederick. I think you also got to bring up the fact that, you know, you had your typical Caleb Holstein performance. Walker Howard, an 80-yard touchdown run in relatively the tail end of that ball game. But a 52-21 victory ain't nothing to kind of, like, shake a stick at. They win. De La Salle, late field goal, pushes them over U-High, 17-14. So St. Thomas Moore, the Cougars, going to be hosting De La Salle. And it's definitely going to be no love loss between these two programs. 
And then you got Dunham taking on Lafayette Christian Academy. LCA gets a 42-14 win over Dunham. And they'll be, thanks to Logan Gabriel, four touchdowns. And on the other side of that bracket in Division Three, Catholic I New Iberia's Cinderella story comes to a disappointing end. 43-42 loss in double overtime. So it's LCA, St. Charles. This is going to be at Cajun Field next Saturday, kickoff at 6. And then you have Country Day at Watchdog Christian in the Wacky Races edition of the high school playoffs. Because Division Four was just completely out of its mind. You had a lot of crazy, you saw all four top seeds get eliminated. This week, we saw Country Day lose to Watchdog Christian 56-41. And then Catholic High Point Capee, the fighting Cody Schutzes, get a 21-8 win over Southern Lab. The world is upside down. Give me this. Give me the chaos that Division Four has for the state title game. Watchdog Christian and Catholic High Point Capee. That is going to be a lot of fun. Which is a lot of fun all the way around when it comes to the opponents that are on tap next week. Because, again, the state semifinals for non-select schools, those are going to be interesting. But I think the, the division, all four state title games, they have a lot of intrigue when you look at the select schools. Because first off, you've got Rubble and Catholic Eye Baton Rouge. Two programs, definitely storied. Rumble Raiders are going to be a lot of fun. So basically, my, my mind is wanting to have the it's the Larry Holder Matt Moscona Bowl. That's gonna be a lot of fun in Division One. And then you got St. Thomas More, De La Salle. De La Salle actually eliminated STM a couple years ago in the state semifinals, if I'm not mistaken. So they've been a thorn in the side of the Cougars. So why not have this rematch between these two teams for the state title in Cougar Stadium? That should be a lot of fun. Again, with Division One and Division Four. I don't know where those two teams are going to play. I haven't seen anything outright that says that, but that's what we're going to go with right here, right now. And you got LCA, Dunham. LCA wins. And now it's going to be LCA taking on St. Charles. These two teams love to light up the scoreboard. Give me this one, Cajun Field, next Saturday at 6 o'clock. I want to be in there like swimwear, Daddy. I want to I want to see this one. This is going to be a lot of fun next week. And then you got Watchdog Christian beating Country Day. And they'll be taking on Catholic High Point Capi. I think that's just going to be intriguing in and of itself to teams that you didn't quite expect to see and maybe get to this point in the season. But congrats to everybody for making it to the next round. And I mentioned at the end of the postgame show last night that I want to congratulate everybody for making it at this point in the postseason because – one of the big things I've always been told is whenever it comes to playing and practicing during the week of Thanksgiving, that is an absolute treat for everybody. It means you don't have to focus on schoolwork or anything. It's all about getting ready for the big game right after Thanksgiving on the Friday. That is a really cool experience, and I've met a lot of former players, and they love that experience. So more power to them. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We come back. We're going to go over the Arco Equipment Island Line for the first of many times. Talk with Shane Savoy, offensive coordinator for the St. Thomas Moore Cougars. Next, you're listening to 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Holstein. Looks downfield, looking for Besh, and he's got him. 
Touchdown, St. Thomas More, a 35-yard BCG touchdown. Holstein to Besh, what a catch. And you've been hearing that all season long right here on 103.7 The Game. Thanks to our guy, Danny Jones, the voice of Cougar football. And my goodness, this Holstein to Besh has been absolutely phenomenal. And dare I say, lethal combination for a lot of programs in Acadiana and across the state, as we saw last night with it. Big win over St. Louis Catholic. Now the Cougars are moving on to the Division Two state title game. And to talk a little bit about it, we got to go to the Arco Equipment Hotline and talk to our guy, Shane Savoie. Shane, how's it going? Great to be on with you, man. I'm just hearing that just already and beginning to think about one more week with Caleb Holstein. And, you know, I think last night he threw his 101st touchdown pass at St. Thomas Moore. So just an exciting number. And, man, uh, kind of reminiscent of just the journey of with that young man and, and how far he's come, and and just glad to have had been a part of his life. 101 touchdowns for Caleb Holstein, an absolutely phenomenal player, and even better student. I mean, obviously he's going to be playing at Harvard before long. But man, what can you say about him and how crucial he's been towards his team's success over over the last several years? Yeah, it's it's just been so much fun to see his maturation. You know, from his sophomore year. Uh, taking over as the starter through his senior year where we've slowly added more and more responsibility to his plate and, and to see how he's handled that and, and kind of because of that offensively we've been able to kind of do new things and, and put new pressure on different people because we're able to put a lot a lot of stuff on our quarterback's plate and, and learn new ways. I mean, I think that's what's really cool about it is little teaching him and learning how to teach him to do different things in our offense has created a new teaching model uh, that we can teach the next quarterback on how to handle and how to make decisions and and just really excited for, you know, I'm blessed that he's been with us for for the last four years and been in my life for the last four years and looking forward to this week and and hopefully finishing out with the big trophy. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And add the fact this is going to be at Cougar Stadium, like just thinking about how long y'all have been playing almost every game at Cougar Stadium this year. I believe Danny was mentioned in the postgame show last night. (laughs) 11 of 13, how crazy is it that y'all have a chance to win a state title in your home stadium? I guess it's only fitting that it's going to be at Cougar Stadium. And, you know, it's 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 the dealt with the hand that we've been dealt. But, you know, it's really not a bad situation. You know, these kids have an opportunity to do something that has never really been done since, you know, the Superdome opened. And uh, who knows, it may not ever be done again. You know, hopefully this thing gets sorted out in a year and, and everything's back the way it was. And the chance to be able to play a state championship at your home stadium, and your, you know, it, it just, it really is a unique opportunity for our kids. It's only happened. We've only played, we've only hosted one state championship in the school history at St. Thomas More. It was a baseball state championship back in the early 90s. Uh, Jamie Howard actually was a pitcher back then for us. Um, but, to be able to have that opportunity, the atmosphere that we created, St. Thomas More is second to none, and, and I'm sure we're going to put on a great show and a great opportunity for, for everybody to come out and enjoy and, and just kind of appreciate high school football in Louisiana at its best. Exactly. Talk right now with Shane Sawa on the Arco Equipment Hotline. I think that's definitely the biggest thing is celebrating high school football the way it needs to be played. It's just such a great moment for the, for the program as a whole just to be able to participate in the state title game. Before we get to St. Louis, I just want to talk about Noah Frederick as well because he had one heck of a performance last night. What can you say about him and how, how big he was in last night's ball game? I couldn't be prouder of that young man. You know, he uh, he got injured 
early on in the year. Matter of fact, the first week of the season, first week of the season at Holy Cross, he turned his ankle on a really big screen pass, and uh, he had a high ankle sprain, and he's just been fighting it all season. You know, and the tough thing for kids is it's his senior year, and he knows it's his last one, and the games he gets are the only games he's going to get, and and he's been fighting all year, playing injured for most of it, uh, just to be able to get out on the field and do something to help his his teammates win. And to see him finally starting to get healthy, finally starting getting back to normal, you know, you could tell by yesterday he, he had his explosiveness back. You're talking about a kid that averaged 11 yards a carry last season as a junior. Uh, he was, you could tell he was hobbled this year. And, and yes, last night I just feel like you could see his explosiveness coming back and, and it's coming back at the right time for us. And, you know, Coach, I think we all need to just kind of move forward and look over to the next opponent and the final opponent of the year, and that is De La Salle, where it felt like thing, it felt like this was destined to be because everybody was talking about it, heading into the final week of the season, how the Cougars were number two, the number one, the number two, the number one. It felt like what well, we're looking at the college football playoff right now <laughs> with how things are in the rankings. But now it's number one versus number two in the state finals. What kind of early scouting report do you have on um, uh, De La Salle? Well, I mean, if you can remember back, this senior groups, you know, only chance, only time they didn't make it to the state championship game was a semifinal game in their sophomore season against De La Salle at Yulman Stadium. Uh, we came in on the short end of the stick by one score. And uh, those kids know it. You know, this group has, in the four years of St. Thomas More, we played for three state championships. And the one that we didn't get to was because of De La Salle. And, and I know that they have our kids' attention for sure. They're physical. They're big. Uh, they do a great job with their run schemes, which is what they did, you know, three years ago. They they just do a great job of running the power in a bunch of different ways, getting different guys involved. And, and it's going to be a challenge for our defense uh, and our run defense to be able to handle that. And then defensively, they just put a lot of pressure on you because they're big and physical in the box. Uh, they force you to do a lot of different things offensively to make sure you're sound, not only in your run game, but in your pass protections as well. Now, now Shane, you brought up – well, Jamie Howard earlier talking about the fact that the 1990 baseball state title game, Jamie Howard was a pitcher, also played football for STM. Is Jay, Walker Howard? I think he definitely made some headlines last night. Mind you, late in that ball game, an 80-yard touchdown run where it sounded like he was basically <laughs> untouched. What can you say about Walker Howard? And not it not just the fact that obviously everybody's talking about his arm, but the man just looks like a potential dual threat quarterback right there. He, he is uniquely blessed with some with a with a skill set uh, that will be a whole lot of fun. You know, I'm not sure I would have had this skill set. I'd have to go all the way back to maybe Mikey Matsu uh, for a kid that that can be that dynamic as far as his speed and his athleticism, but with also with his arm. Uh, so really looking forward to him and and him having this year to to sit and learn under Caleb without having the pressure of having to to be the guy holding on to the reins. I think really has really helped his development because he's been able to kind of see it and be a part of it and understand it. So when he gets in there, he has those moments. And, and really the play of the night that his, his ADR touchdown one was run was a result of some of the looks we had seen earlier when Caleb was in, in the game. And we felt like on the backside they were shooting extra guys into the run game. Uh, Walker seen it. And when we called the play, he knew exactly what to look for. They overran it, and he was able to pull it and take it out of the backside. Coach, one more for you, and obviously we were, ta- we were talking about the environment that's going to be going on at St. Thomas More. It's going to be a half a day for the for the school. Is it, am I am I right for that for next Friday? From from what I hear, we'll have a half day. Uh, we're going to have a 
basically try to set up a, cha- a champion square. We'll have a stage. Uh, I think they've booked a band, a DJ. Uh, they'll have some food there available and, and just trying to create a really cool environment for all the people to come out. And, and again, like we said earlier, celebrate high school football in Louisiana, celebrate the Division II state championship and, you know, and all efforts to build up that game that night that will hopefully live up to its billing. Coach, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Good luck next weekend. Thank you very much. Uh, God bless the Cougar family for showing up tonight, and we look forward to to bringing a state championship game home to Cougar Stadium, and hopefully a state championship trophy gets to stay with us. Once again, Shane Savoy, ladies and gentlemen, offensive coordinator for the STM Cougars, absolutely phenomenal. Was eight was grateful to have him on the program. One of the many guests we've got on tap for you on this show today, and I gotta say, it's just this is a smorgasbord of a show because we've got a coach in the 15s and analysis at the bottom of the hour. That's how we roll here. Of course, maybe some commentary here and there to end up each hour. Because trust me, you're gonna want to hear what I have to say about 10:45 or so. Let's just put it that way. If you know where I'm coming from, you know what's good. But I'm just looking forward to talking about everything else involving the world of sports. And we'll start that off next with a guy, Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. We'll talk to him about the big rivalry games. It's rivalry weekend, and there's a lot of things we can talk about, and I can't wait to do so. 11.15, Tim Rebo joins the program, a special guest. We're going to talk to him about winning the Southland Conference title for a second straight year, the great year that the state of Louisiana has had. Simply put, it is a phenomenal show. Ross Jackson, of course, joining us at 11.30. And yes, we'll be talking about Shy Tuttle. You know we will. We'll take a quick timeout, and when we come back, we got a whole lot more, not quite unscripted, but definitely unsanctioned under the dome with CD coming up next. Steve Lassen, you're listening to 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com, the only game in town. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And now we're going to flip things over to the world of college football. Spend the first half hour largely dedicated towards the sport of high school football. He's a Louisiana high school football playoffs are absolutely fantastic. That being said, we love some college football here as well. And to talk all about it, we got on the Arco Equipment Hotline our guy who's been talking with us every single week throughout the college football season from week zero to the final week of the, of the regular season. That is a guy, Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. Steve, what's going on, brother? Hey, Clint. Happy Thanksgiving. We've had some chaos in college football last Saturday. We were wondering if we could get it. We got it, and we're coming up on the end of the regular season. So it should be a fun uh, couple weeks here as we kind of wind down the regular season. It should be a fun next couple of weeks, but, man, it don't want to be a lot more fun this past Tuesday night when we saw Ohio State jump LSU in the latest college football playoff rankings. To me, it was no surprise. I was talking with people on Monday, and I felt like you know Ohio State was going to jump over because of their victory over Penn State because the fact that that was a top-10, very quality matchup. I think that wound up helping out Ohio State to jump over LSU. It really did. You know, the committee has thought highly of Penn State since the first ranking. They were number four 
when the first top 25 came out on November 5th, and they stayed in the top 10 all in, a, in the last three rankings. So the committee thinks pretty highly of Penn State. Ohio State beating Penn State last week gave Ohio State three top 25 wins, which matches LSU. These two teams have traded the number one spot. LSU's been uh, number one twice. Ohio State has been number one twice. So, you know, I think looking ahead, the question is, can LSU pass Ohio State or does Ohio State stay first? And from what's ahead, Ohio State gets Michigan and potentially Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship. Uh, That's two top 13 wins. And if it's Wisconsin and not Minnesota, it's two top 13 wins. But LSU gets the number four team right now in Georgia. So I'm not convinced that Ohio State stays there, but I think right now the Buckeyes have the inside track for that number one spot. It's interesting to see where things set up right here, right now. And when you look at LSU, obviously you got Texas A&M this Saturday, and we'll talk about that a lot later on. But I think without a doubt, you got also got to bring up the fact they'll have Georgia, who's right here, right now, the number four seed in the college football playoff rankings. What does that mean? If we see Georgia, obviously get the win over the nerds of Georgia Tech, and we move on to the SEC title game in Atlanta, what is, how big of that would be? What kind of jump could LSU make to get back in the number one spot if they win that one SEC title game? Yeah, I think they could jump back to that number one spot, and I think style points will matter. Um, if LSU goes out and beats Georgia and dominates the game, and, and even if it's a 27 to you know 17 kind of game, but LSU controls it throughout, I think you have to feel pretty good about LSU's chances to move back into number one. Ohio State, you know, how they play at Michigan and how they play in the Big Ten championship game could impact it too because the committee clearly views that these two teams are close. So, you know, the, the word game control and, and all that comes into play. How well, do you, how, how good do you look at, at this point? So, yeah, I, I do think LSU has a shot. I think if you had to project ahead, if Ohio State wins out, I like their chances to be number one, but I'm not necessarily set on it, especially if LSU handles Georgia, who the committee thinks is number four right now in the SEC championship. And, and of course, Georgia has a pretty good resume at this point as well. And let's flip it over to the Ohio State for another moment. Just talk about this game. Talk right now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. I got to say that Ohio State-Michigan game is going to loom large and to me, it feels like right here, right now, this could be the one opportunity that Jim Harbaugh has going forward because obviously it feels like, at least to me, a thousand miles away from the big house, that this is a big game for not only Ohio State, but for Jim Harbaugh's future. You with me on that? I, I think Jim Harbaugh, I, I guess I'd put it this way. I don't think he's on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination at Michigan, but I do think at some point you have to get over the hump if, if you're Jim Harbaugh. You have to beat Ohio State. And looking ahead, Michigan gets Ohio State at home. And the way Michigan has played the last few weeks, you know, you can kind of talk yourself into the upset here. And, you know, just going forward, next season, Justin Fields is going to be back. The game's in Columbus. So if it's almost like if they don't get Ohio State this year, when is it going to happen? So I think it is a huge opportunity for Michigan, especially at home. Um, you know, the way Michigan has played since the second half of that Penn State uh, game, they've been a completely different team. We did see last week against Penn State, Ohio State 
had some flaws that showed up. If you can get pressure on Justin Fields, you have to be able to contain him on running on third down runs. Um, but you know there are opportunities to get pressure and get some sacks. And the second thing is the turnovers that Ohio State had in a, in a rivalry game like this. If they're that sloppy with the football, um, that's a recipe for losing. So yeah, I, I think it is a huge opportunity for Jim Harbaugh and this Michigan team uh, to continue what's been going on since that Penn State game, but still going to be very difficult to get past Ohio State. Going to be very very difficult, and we bring up. The Big Ten might as well stick there for a minute. And we mentioned Minnesota, and this Saturday is going to be interesting. 2.30 kickoff between Wisconsin and Minnesota. This is going to be very much for that other slot in the Big Ten title game. Which way are you leaning here? Because to me, it feels like Minnesota could wind up getting things done against Wisco. Yeah, I agree with you. I like Minnesota, but I think this one's going to be close. You look at the history of these two teams, you know, Minnesota won last season, but you have to go back to the 90s to find the last time they beat Minnesota or beat Wisconsin in back-to-back years. This series has been dominated by the Badgers, and you know the weather is going to be an issue. It could be some, it could be some snow. It's going to be windy. It could be cold. So those are kind of the conditions that you would think would favor Wisconsin and Jonathan Taylor in that running game. But we've already seen Minnesota pick up the big victory against Penn State at home. And I think as, as long as the weather isn't too much of a factor, I think the Golden Gophers get it done and, and beat the Badgers and clinch a trip to the Big Ten championship game. I should say, uh, one other thing on Michigan and Ohio State, I think the state of Louisiana uh, all suddenly big Jim Harbaugh fans this week too. <laughs> I'd have to agree with you wholeheartedly there. I think they're big Big khaki-wearing fans right now. But, I mean, you also got to bring up the fact they're definitely cheering on the man known as Gus Malzahn and Bo Nix with that 2.30 game as well on CBS. It's the Iron Bowl, a tradition unlike any other. Alabama-Auburn, and this is a do-or-die game for Alabama. Obviously, one loss on the year. You're with Mac Jones as a starting QB in this ball game. Can Mac Jones really kind of turn back the magic and help this Alabama team keep their CFP hopes, despite how slim they at least seem, keep, they keep them alive? I think so. I mean, I think so far what we've seen out of Mac Jones, and of course the competition level hasn't been great. Western Carolina um, played a lot against Tennessee and started against Arkansas. Been pretty efficient, not making a lot of mistakes. He's doing what he needs to do, which is to be the point guard of the Alabama offense, get it out to those receivers, and let them make plays on the outside. I think this game really comes down to two things. I think it's Mac Jones and Bo Nix. Which quarterback makes plays? We've seen Bo Nix has struggled against you know the top opponents when they've played Florida, when they've played um, LSU. He's got to be better. And he's, he's at home, and, and of course, going back to the Georgia game, you know he showed flashes against Georgia late when they switched the tempo. Can he pick up where he left off in that game? Alabama's defense, certainly not a vintage uh, Nick Saban defense, but still pretty good. And I think outside of the quarterbacks, I think the line of scrimmage is so key because Auburn can dominate up front. How healthy is Alabama? They've got some injuries up front. Their offensive line has been clearing some running lanes, but how are they going to be in pass protection against Auburn? So I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think Alabama finds a way to get it done. And I will say for Gus Malzahn, he really needs this game after losing to Georgia 
Um, you know, it certainly would not be good to go 0-2 against rivals. Don't think he's on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly uh, would be pretty disappointing, I, I think, to finish the year uh, losing to Alabama and Georgia. It would be a huge bummer to see things kind of go the way you'd kind of just look at it. I feel like maybe just maybe Auburn will want to have that opportunity to play spoiler for the Alabama Crimson Tide, and it kind of leaves things wide open. If Alabama were to lose, who would take that number five spot and could be in the waiting to take over a, a position in that college football playoff, depending on what happens with the SEC title game, I think more than anything? a great question i think it's like the one million dollar kind of you know discussion hanging over the playoff is it utah or is it oklahoma the committee really seems to like utah they do not have the top 25 wins that oklahoma has you know oklahoma um, plays oklahoma state this week but they have good wins i mean baylor's up to number nine in the playoff rankings iowa state's been is 23rd this week so Oklahoma has a stronger resume, but I think the committee likes Utah from the perspective they are dominating week in and week out. So I think, I think right now Utah probably has the inside track to be that uh, fourth playoff spot, assuming that Georgia loses to LSU in the, in the SEC championship game. Talk right now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports, and we bring up LSU. Might as well segue into that, the 6 o'clock ball game between LSU and A&M. We all know how it went last year. It seems more likely than not it won't go the same route where we see LSU not necessarily have a seven-overtime matchup. But, man, I've got to say, this is going to be one of the most fun games and the games you're going to be kind of on the edge of your seat simply because of the fact that we know how heated this rivalry has become almost instantaneously. It really has. You know, that game last season was, I mean, entertaining to watch. And you just, you, you kind of think about the, the over the, the, the plays and what transpired in overtime. It was one of the better games that I've seen in the last couple of years. I don't think LSU is going to need overtime to win this game. I think the revenge factor, I think we've kind of seen this week, LSU has not forgotten what happened last year in College Station. I think LSU is going to be pretty motivated on Saturday night to win this one. I think we kind of saw last week that Texas A&M has made some progress in catching up to the SEC. They, you know, they played Georgia tough in Athens, but they still have a ways to go. This is a young team, a lot of new faces stepping in on defense. I think they're going to have their handful trying to slow down Joe Burrow and these receivers. So I like LSU, and like I said, I don't think they need overtime. Uh, this year, I think the revenge factor, the Tigers uh, take care of business this Saturday. And that's going to be a lot of fun, but now we're going to kind of look over to what's going down in Lafayette, Louisiana, with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns on the verge of something they've never done before, a double-digit win season. They're going to ULM at 630. It's a nationally televised game at that, which is even more cool when you really just think about it, the fact that the Cajuns are on national TV during the last week of the regular season. And more importantly, they're getting a lot of votes in the in the AP Top 25 poll. They're getting the ARVs there, and in the Amway Coaches poll. Do you think that by the end of this, the end of the season, could the Raging Cajuns make it into the Top 25? I think there's a chance. I think if they win um, against Monroe and then go on the road and beat Appalachian State, you know, or, or I guess wherever the game is going to be. You know, whatever transpires in the Sun Belt Championship game, if they finish the season 
with double-digit wins, and then they would have the victory over Appalachian State, who is ranked in the college football playoff rankings again this week. Um, I think they have to be in the consideration to be in that top 25 discussion. Even if they don't get there, let's just say they finish outside and they get votes. I mean, still, what a season for Billy Napier and this team. I mean, defensively, they've made progress. You look at the offense and how explosive it is. Just, you know, losses to the to the Mountaineers and Mississippi State earlier this year close. This program has come a long way in two years, and I think regardless of whether or not they get ranked, uh, that's a testament to how far this program has come under the staff. Steve, thanks so much for coming on, my man. I Normally I say I'll talk to you next week, but we're trying to eat, iron out some plans for next week's show because obviously the SEC title game could wind up throwing some wrenches and some plans. But um, keep, I'll keep you in the loop, man. Hopefully we can talk to you next week. Hey, absolutely, Clint. Enjoy the games. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, that was Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Athlon Steven. And we'll take a quick timeout, and we'll talk about something. I've mentioned the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I think you know where I'm headed. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Of course, you're listening to Under the Dome. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And usually I try and keep things in terms of a take and a hot take at that towards the end of the show. But this one's going to take a little bit longer than most of my one final takes. So here we are again. I'm sitting here inside the 237 Roof Studios, and I'm making a similar statement to what I made back before the App State game, and it's all about the attendance. Last week, I saw the Cajuns clinch the Sunbelt West Division with a dominant win over Troy, 53-3. to When you think about a team that was 8-2 and headed into the game, now 9-2, and and you can kind of just take a wild guess what that attendance was without obviously knowing what it was. You think 20,000? Nope. 19,000? Nope. Come on, at least 15,000? Nope. The announced attendance for an 8-2 and team looking to win the West was 14,000. 14 bleeping thousand. If anybody knows me, I love seeing the Cajuns succeed. I was there all the way back in 1996 when Jake DeLone beat those Texas A&M Aggies when they were ranked all the way back in the game. I actually saw him on Monday. That was really cool to kind of meet him meet him again and kind of talk to him for a quick minute on a Monday. But I saw that crowd pick up those go posts. Pandemonium ensued. Just an overall great moment that made me a fan of the Cajuns for life. Obviously, now I cover them. It's a little bit of a different ball game. I'm able to kind of keep things at least right down the middle. I'll tell you when it's good. I'll tell you when it's bad. That's what you know about me. I don't try and sugarcoat a damn thing. But guess what? That was a moment that stuck in my mind for a long time. And obviously in this climate, you won't see the fans storm the field. And I get that. But why are we seeing the attendance numbers at such an all-time low? HUDs last year and Bustles last year had absolutely poor attendance. And you can account for that with the fact that the the product that was put out on the field was pop off. When you look at what's been done, how much things have changed just in the matter of years from the time when HUD's regime ended to right here, right now, you can tell there's a dip in attendance and a lot more from the student perspective. This is kind of the first rant I'm going to have, first of many. 
I can remember being in that student section as a proud alum of UL. I used to get in the Cajun field about 90 minutes before kickoff so I could be at that railing and have fun watching this team win or lose. And also some light heckling because that's what you do, right? Now you probably head up to the railing of the student section five minutes before kickoff because the student base doesn't isn't wanting to go to the game. They'd rather drive across the basin for about two hours, maybe three, depending on what kind of traffic it is, to go watch the LSU Tigers. It may sound like the little brother syndrome to some of those things over on Tiger Droppings, but guess what? There's more than one game in town. I get it. People want to support LSU, and that's great. That is fantastic. More power to you. My whole thing is that they'd rather go to LSU rather than support the home team, the true home team, the university they go to, and have the kind of moments that I can remember having when I was at UL. And when I see a half-hearted crowd cheer on the best team this program's ever seen, it really makes you wonder what will it take to get people off their couch or whatever else they want to do on a Saturday night and watch some great football. It's a million-dollar question we've been trying to figure out for the last couple of years, and honestly, I can't tell you why. We continue to see the attendance dip each and every week. I can all hear the complaints about paying to park and a sundry of other things, but those excuses not to go, it don't matter. This Thanksgiving weekend, kickoff at 6.30. You want to send up some of the best players the Cajuns have had in recent memory as they look to get to a double-digit win season for the first time ever? I'm done. If we don't, if I don't see this place be 20000 I'm done trying to tell you and sell you on the Cajuns. Because guess what? You apparently have apathy towards this program, and it's amazing. The fact that we're talking about... Nobody wanted to see a team as probably one of those fun teams to watch in the entire country, at least to me. Not the state, but the damn country. If you go watch LSU and Texas A&M, that's fine and dandy. But I'm just done trying to sell you on what watching the Cajuns live and in living color. The fans that do show up, I'm proud of a lot of you because guess what? You are what this program needs. People who are going to support the program through thick and thin. Cheap tickets, cheap beer, cheap hot dogs. Those can't draw a dime. What in the world will? This team is doing great. And one of those damning things is I saw a tweet on Sunday afternoon from Jacques Doucet of WAFB, who was born and raised in the Acadian era. I have a lot of respect for the guy. He mentioned a lot of great college football on Saturday. Mentioned LSU A&M. Mentioned the Bayou Classic, Nichols, North Dakota. Completely ignoring the Cajuns UL Monroe game. Had to quote tweet that. And that didn't get, that got a lot of run. Meanwhile, a post about Billy Napier getting the keys to the city. That did not draw hardly any interaction on social media. That was a little bit disappointing to say the least and it just continues to boggle my mind right here right now that we're talking about the Cajuns and attendance still an issue so I'm not asking you to go send off the Cajuns the right way I I am demanding you do that to see more than 14 bleeping thousand fans for an NSA rivalry against ULM I'm done I'm getting hot hour one in the books hour two up next on 103.7 The Game This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this. 
but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone. Hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Getting kick-started, and you're listening to the must-listen-to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. And, of course, it's right here live inside the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing from the Roof to the Roots of Acadiana. These great people have you covered. All you got to do is call them up at 237-ROOF. That's 237-7663. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon. Of course, it's Rivalry Week. There's a lot of things to talk about, and I'm just looking forward to the weekend ahead. We're an hour out from high noon. That means I'm getting ready to enjoy some great stuff, including the fact we got Cajuns, ULM, LSU, Texas A&M. This is going to be a great weekend for rivalries and just some really great football. And, of course, in this second hour, we got Tim Rebo joining the program in about, let's say, another 10 minutes or so. We'll chat him up about his program, the Nickel State Colonels, and how far they've come. And now second straight Southland Conference title. They're gearing up for a big game against North Dakota, kickoff at 3. So trust me, I mentioned it before, it's a great time to be a fan of football in Louisiana. And right now it's just absolutely glorious to talk about the fact that we've got the LSU Tigers, Nickel State Colonels, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Southeastern Louisiana even. A lot of programs doing pretty darn good right about now. It is absolutely fantastic. Hopefully you're enjoying what we got for you in this first hour of the program. Thanks again. A lot of credit to Steve Lassen, the good brother, for joining the program. Talk a little bit about the final week of the college football season. But, of course, we'll kind of keep that conversation going a little bit with what's on tap, and we'll get to what is on tap this weekend right now. The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a bar stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. A lot of stuff on tap this weekend, and of course, the biggest thing on tap is Rivalry Week. It is college football's almost natural aphrodisiac. This is a lot of great, high-caliber, high-quality football games in the world of college sports. I think the biggest one we got to talk about right here, right now, is the big game. It's getting underway right about now and of course we're talking about the Ohio State and Michigan getting ready to square off in as they call it it excuse me there but it's gonna be Ohio State and Michigan the number one seed right here right now to the college football playoff rankings they jumped LSU earlier in the week in those CFP rankings they'll be taking on the Michigan Wolverines that is a matchup that can wind up determining a whole lot of stuff. And if we see Michigan somehow pull off the upset of all upsets, yes, both teams are ranked, but you got to about imagine the fact that in the Jim Harbaugh era, they have not beaten Ohio State. Could it happen? Possibly. But I think this is a game that's just going to wind up determining a lot of things when it comes to the college football playoff rankings. Because if, Mich- if Ohio State somehow loses, they're going to be out of contention. They'll be outside looking in. More likely than not, because I feel like Minnesota could give Ohio State a whole lot of hell next week in the Big Ten title game. There's just a lot of stuff that we can just say right here, right now. It's concerning to see what's going to happen this time next week. I want to see what happens with those pesky Ohio State Buckeyes at 11 o'clock. The kickoff was just moments ago. 
I'll give you more of an idea of that as the show moves along. What's going on over there? Or you can just want to turn on the TV, mute it, and keep listening to me talk about what else is going on this week. And, of course, Rivalry, Rivalry Week definitely takes precedent over everything in the world of sports on such a wonderful Saturday after Thanksgiving. Just It bookends itself perfectly. And, of course, we got to talk about UL-UL Monroe as a marquee matchup on ESPNU, nationally televised game 630. I ranted and raved about it earlier. But get your keisters out there to go support this program because they deserve a lot of the love and a lot of pub because they have been absolutely phenomenal. And I love talking about this Cajuns program. Hopefully they can sustain it for a long time. Because I'm loving the fact they are 9-2 and two on the verge of getting their first double-digit season, double-digit win season in program history. I'm going to talk to with Tim Rebo about that as well because it's just awesome to know that that man was a part of the program and saw a lot of wild stuff happen. And now things are turning around. Billy Napier, the culture, it's amazing. But, of course, they're taking on UL Monroe, a program that has definitely been a thorn in the side of the Cajuns. And oddly enough, the last time these two faced off at Cajun Field, it was an overtime battle with Caleb Evans coming out the victor in that one. I got to say, give me the Cajun in this one, simply because of the fact that I love what I've seen from them all season long. They are becoming more and more of a complete team as the season progresses. That's all you're asking for if you're Billy Napier and company, because that's what you want out of your guys to be the absolute best in the business. Of course, we'll kind of keep the conversation going into a matchup that was happening a little bit earlier today or later on today with the matchup between, of course, you guessed it, Alabama-Auburn, the Iron Bowl. This could be an opportunity to finally get rid of the demon that is, or the albatross that's weighing over the college football playoff committee, and that is the Alabama Crimson Tide. Mac Jones, can he be the return of the Mac and get these get those elephants a chance and a second chance at getting into the CFP? It seems very tough, largely because of the fact that I think Bo Nix and the Auburn Tigers are up for this challenge because they are going to be like sharks smelling blood in the water with a relatively inexperienced quarterback. You're going to be going up against him. You want to bring a lot of pressure and shaking the dude's confidence early. I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn comes away with a huge win and an upset that winds up kind of making things a little bit easier for the committee and they don't have to take quite as much you-know-what when it comes to allowing a team that did not participate in the SEC title game in that spot, but I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with that one as well. 2.30 kickoff on CBS, and of course the main event, 6.30, LSU-Texas A&M. It's a matchup we've waited a whole year for, and it's finally upon us. We get to see LSU and Texas A&M kind of hash out their issues, because trust me, there were a lot of them to talk about. And of course, we got to kind of bring up as well what's going on with the NFL this weekend, and I think there's just one game in particular you got to keep an eye on. And it is without a shadow of a doubt what's going on in Sunday afternoon. Of course, we had a lot of great matchups on Thursday with Thanksgiving. But I think Sunday, all that matters is what's going down between these two teams. San Francisco and the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, the clear front runner for MVP talk. Without a doubt in my mind. And hopefully, we're getting ready to see a hell of a matchup between two of the best teams in the NFL, the 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens. Can we see the Ravens help out the Saints a little bit more? Because, of course, this could be a potential Super Bowl matchup. The 49ers currently still atop 
what's going on in the NFC. But a loss to the Baltimore Ravens could help out the Saints a lot more heading into that pivotal matchup. We'll talk with Ross Jackson about that as well because guess what? The 49ers will be playing the Saints next week, and the Saints have a few extra days to prepare for the phenomenal opponent that is the San Francisco 49ers. I, I feel like everybody saw that coming, that we'd see this team bounce back after a really tough year, losing Jimmy G early, and then we see what's happened now. The Baltimore Ravens are absolutely fantastic. Give me the give me the Ravens here, because I, I love what I've seen from them, and yes, it's going to be a relatively short week, six days. Not quite as short of a week as it was for the New Orleans Saints going from Sunday to Thursday, but you know what? That's what happens when you play, when you have such a heated rivalry. Maybe Next year, we don't see the Saints participate in Thursday Night Football, largely because of the fact that the Falcons just feel like they're going to be on a trajectory, a downward spiral, if you will, just because of everything that's setting up for them right here, right now. I'm not a fan of seeing this kind of rivalry kind of fall to the wayside and get buried amongst a whole lot of other muck and mire. But we'll kind of get to some of that in a little bit. But in the meantime, and in between time, we can go ahead and take a quick timeout on the floor, and we'll talk about what else is going on in the world of sports, and of course, we got to talk about him. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we'll have Tim Rebo. He's joined the program in just a few minutes. We'll talk about what's going on with those Nichols State Colonels, second straight South of Conference title, South of Conference Offensive Player of the Year, Chase Forkate, and a whole lot more. You're listening to the Muscles Do Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana under the dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, the, and that is an undisputed fact. And of course, we're talking about 1037 the game. And also 1037thegame.com. And hey, if you're out of town, and if you don't have the mobile app, what are you waiting for? Download it now, iOS, Android. It's absolutely free, and it's powered by Visit Avery Island. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And we got a special guest aboard the Arco Equipment Hotline. And, of course, it is Nichols State Colonels head coach Tim Rebo, fresh off of winning a Southland Conference title and getting geared up for a big matchup later on today against North Dakota. He's on the Arco Equipment Hotline right now. Coach, how's it going? Hey, Clint. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming aboard the program once again. Last year we had you on a couple of days after winning the Southland Conference title in a thriller, but you did it again, two straight Southland Conference titles. What do you say about the way the, the t- trajectory this program has been through the last couple of years, and this was another crowning achievement for the Colonels? Well, there's some good people around here, and I'm really happy for uh, this senior class. Uh, they, had, they had a lot to play for this year, a lot of expectations going in. This football team worked hard to get where it is. But, you know, the administration, the, the university, and, and the whole community, everybody pulling in the same direction, that's what it takes for us to, to get to where we are today. I think you also got to give a lot of credit to, of course, your quarterback, Chase Forkade, named Southland Conference Player of the Year. What can you say about what he's been able to do throughout his time as the starting quarterback for the Colonels? Well, anytime you, anytime you have an experienced quarterback returning, you have a chance to win some games. And, you know, four years ago, we recruited Chase and said, hey, come here and be the face of the program. Uh, we wanted to, to turn this into something special over here. The way he's matured over the years, and uh, he, he's so competitive. He gets guys to play with him and for him. 
and uh, he was, I mean, this senior class has led us to 30, 30 victories uh, in their four years. So really, really happy for him and his whole class. Soccer now with head coach of the Nickel State Colonels, Tim Rebo, on the Arco Equipment Hotline. And, of course, we kind of got to look back at last weekend's game. Last Thursday night, Nickel State gets a 28-27 to win over Southeastern, a nail-biter to say the least. What do you say about how that game went last Thursday? I don't know if I've ever been involved in, in a game quite like that. You know, people have been asking me that. I know in Lafayette a couple of times we, we had a couple of wild finish games over there, but none that, that had the significance of what this game had. You, you're playing your rival for, for all the marbles. You're, you're on the road. It, it was a crazy, crazy back-and-forth game, and our guys stayed, stayed in there for the entire game. And I, I'm telling you, man, it was a wild finish for anybody that was, that was over at that game. It really was, especially when you watched it on TV. I can about imagine how much different it was with the fact that it was actually like being there live in living color. I can about imagine that was a whole different environment. We, we, I was, uh, we traveled really, really well, and it was almost like a home game for us. We had so much red in the stands. Uh, it was fantastic for our players. We went down 14 to nothing uh, in that first quarter. I thought they did a good job of keeping us backed up in field position. Uh, we finally got out of that in the second quarter. We tied it up. And, and the whole word for us that week was uh, composure. We, we talked about we had to keep our composure, whether uh, good things happening to us or bad things happening to us. And it was just a fantastic effort by our guys to stay in there and battle all the way to the end. And you've been a part of a lot of great programs across the state of Louisiana. You started off your career in Destrehan. And one of the questions I want to ask you is more just a statewide thing in terms of college football in the state of Louisiana. Right now, things are looking really good, not just for y'all, but for the Cajuns, LSU. I think right now it's a great time to be a football fan of Louisiana. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I, I love high school football in the state, and I love the college football. And, you know, we get to follow games on Friday night and see all the programs winning. And then we are all taking the, uh, the successful student athletes and boy, they all, they, there's enough to go around everywhere. And I love seeing us all be successful. And, and you know, Southeastern, who is our big rival, uh, they get in the host of playoff game and we're in the playoffs. Louisiana Tech having success and, and look at UL is going for record wins. Uh, just happy for everybody around. And you brought up the Raging Cajuns, of course. You spent a long time over there before making the jump as the, to become the head coach of the Colonels, and you brought it up perfectly. That much closer to getting a their first double-digit win in program history, getting a lot of votes in, towards getting into the AP and Amway coaches poll. How crazy to see how, how quickly things have changed, because we talked about it a couple years ago where it felt like things were a little bit on the downturn. How quickly things kind of turn in the world of college football with Billy Napier at, at the head of the – Cajun's culture. Well, I think Coach Napier and his staff has, has done a fantastic job. I mean, he, he is recruiting. He's taking that to another level. Uh, still know a bunch of guys who is coaching over there. Do, they're doing a fantastic job. And You know, we, we were close a couple of times. We had some eight, nine, nine win seasons, but it seemed like we could never get over that hump. And, uh, you know, the facilities they have over there and, and the great coaches, uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't be successful. I'd agree with you wholeheartedly there, Coach. And now we're going to kind of flip it back over to y'all, of course. That's why I have you on, Coach Tim Rebo, Nickel State Colonels football head coach. They're getting ready to start off the FCS playoffs. And y'all are going to be hosting, correct, taking on North Dakota. North Dakota, look, it's a, it's been a special time around here. The third year in a row we're getting to host an FCS playoff game. And anytime at, at this level, 
that you are playing over Thanksgiving holidays, you've done something special. There's, there's 24 teams left in this weekend. Uh, 16 teams will be playing, and, and we're just excited. We've been pretty special at home the last three years. Uh, we, we've got a fantastic record, uh, so it's good to bring somebody in our place and, and giving them also a chance to see this other group of seniors for, for possibly one last time because you never know how it's going to go if you're going to get to come back and host one again. So we're really excited about it this, this Saturday after Thanksgiving, uh, 3 o'clock we're playing uh, North Dakota, uh, from coming from a little bit of a far away, and so hopefully we can have a little bit of shock to them uh, down here in South Louisiana. I can about imagine it would be a little bit of shock for them making their way down from North Dakota, where or more likely than not it's probably snowing at this time of year, and they go on over to Thibodeau, Louisiana. They see it's not not quite as um, uh, chilly, chilly conditions over in over in Thibodeau, Louisiana. I did uh, I did a radio show today uh, from some people in North Dakota and. And that's what they asked me. I told them, I don't know if they can handle this 75-degree weather <laughs> that we're going to have on Saturday afternoon. Because they said it's quite chilly up there right now. Yeah, we bring up North Dakota. We might as well bring up, just based off how the brackets look right now, North Dakota won't be going away for you if you want to come away with the win this afternoon because that now you'll be moving on to take on, if not mistaken, the number one seed in North Dakota State. Yeah, you know, our guys, everybody sees the bracket. But, you know, the main thing is you can't put the cart before the horse. We talk about that all the time. you got right now a one-week season, and we're trying to go 1-0. and We're focused on that. Uh, I know some people and fans are speculating, saying, hey, how you got this uh, seated in the bracket and where you have to go. And let me tell you, if we don't take care of business, we'll be home next weekend. So we better make sure we, we got our eyes focused on the fighting hawks. It's definitely going to be a fun matchup this afternoon. What, what's an overall scouting report you have on North Dakota heading into the, the end of the ballgame? Well, you know, they, they play in a, a, a big sky schedule. They're in transition right now uh, from the big sky. They're independent, and they're getting ready to go into the Missouri Valley Conference. So uh, they, they finished 7-4 and four this year. They were very successful at home. They were 6-0, and oh, and they were 1-4 and four on the road. Uh, they they got an outstanding quarterback and running game. He's got three or four big receivers that he loves to throw it to. Uh, on defense, I tell you, they're going to get after you. They give you a lot of different looks. Uh, they play hard. They play fast. Uh, they got a couple good linebackers that's really going to get after our run game. Talk right now with head coach Tim Rebo of the Nichols State Colonels. And I brought up earlier, you started off your career at Destrehan. At one point, you coached recent NFL Hall of Famer, the man got the call to the Hall. And that is Ed Reed. What was it like coaching him early on in his his high school career? You know, he reminds me, uh, he he was so competitive, too, at at a young age. Uh, Those guys wanted to beat you. They never wanted to leave the practice field. You just knew hard work. uh, And and, and he was that leader, you know, that people always gravitated around him. He played any sport that he could. He played basketball. He played baseball. uh, He ran track. Uh, and he was pretty special on the football field also. He really was, especially when he made the jump over to the NFL. And, you know, one more before we get out of here about Ed Reed. What, what was it like watching him during his Hall of Fame speech? And how incredible was the bus and how accurate it was with that glorious beard that Reed has? <laughs> you know, we had a group of, uh, of people, uh, his ex-coaches and principals and all. They were going down uh, to the induction and. I wanted to go, but there was no way it happened. It happens in August, and we're in fall camp, so I was I was sorry that I couldn't make it. But it was quite special to see a guy right there from St. Rose and 
all the things that he's done. His message was simply incredible. You still in touch with that, Reed? Yeah, he he stays in touch a little bit. You know, he's so busy. He's got so many people. But he's been coming uh, back home uh, more and more now that he's retired. That's awesome, Coach. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Good luck this afternoon taking on North Dakota. Okay, man. Thanks anytime. Appreciate it. I, once again, appreciate head coach of the Nickel State Colonels, Tim Rebo, joined the program. I was happy to have him on last year, even more so this year, because it feels like now, and I brought it up to him earlier, it's the fact that this program over the last few years has kind of kept taking leaps and bounds and moving forward, and we're seeing just how great of the state of Louisiana is with football now that we've got Ed Ogeron starting to try and build that wall around Louisiana in terms of recruiting. We're seeing that work out quite, quite well. You just look around. You can say right here, right now, I'm loving what the man himself, Tim Rebo, had to say right there. Hopefully you enjoyed it just as much as I did bringing it to you. I love it. And speaking of Louisiana football, we got to kind of move forward and look over to what's coming up in the next couple of weeks because obviously the New Orleans Saints, Atlanta Falcons squared off. And we'll recap that and a whole lot more with our guy Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked On Saints podcast right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. We'll be back after this with even more of Under the Dome. And I absolutely love it. On this wonderful Saturday afternoon right after Thanksgiving, it's Rivalry Week. And why not talk about one of the biggest rivalries in the state of Louisiana, Saints-Falcons, next. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. And hearing that sounds ever sweeter, especially after a big win on Thursday Night Football in primetime television against those Dirty Birds, the Atlanta Falcons. What a great win it was, despite you know how things were in the final moments. But we'll chat up about that and a whole lot more with our guy, Ross Jackson, all Saints considered the Locked On Saints podcast. Ross, first of all, happy Thanksgiving, my man. Hopefully you had a great one. And then again, when you have the win over the Falcons, it usually is pretty darn good. Hey, man, look, food, family, football, it was a great, great, great Thanksgiving, man. I hope yours was fun as well. Oh, mine was quite fun. I mean, you got to think about it. We talk about it all the time in radio, how alliteration just works. Taysom, turnovers, turkey, and shy Tuttle. The man was it was just an absolutely fantastic Thursday night football matchup. I think obviously we're gonna we're gonna start things off talking about Taysom Hill and probably for at least early on in the ball game, to me, I wrote him down as the player of the game, then all of a sudden Cam Jordan comes out of nowhere and mess around gets like four sacks as quietly as you could possibly think. But Taysom Hill all the way around is a great performance on Thursday night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what more can you ask from your third-string quarterback than a block on a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what more you can expect from a guy. But you know, he talked after his uh, the, the post-game presser after the game there, and he talked a little bit about how the expectation was that he would have a little bit more usage this week against the Falcons. They specifically also had him 
uh, built as a couple of packages or built into a couple of packages for the first Falcons game, but some things didn't work out in terms of getting those plays called. But this time around, they were called, and he got to take advantage of it. At one point, he had three touches in the game with two touchdowns, and then, of course, the block punt as well. I mean, he really was your Saints' first half. Uh, for the most part, he just electric. The guy's electrifying always, and so to get him into a position to where he could take advantage of that and you know actually put some points on the board, it was a really really good way to start off the game for the Saints. And I mean, just how many times are we going to see the Saints block a Falcons punt? I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. It feels like the Thanksgiving tradition at this point. It's a big reason why right. I'm definitely going to going to start pushing for take the Cowboys out of Thanksgiving games and put the Saints in every year. Saints Falcons have that every year. Yeah, absolutely. I love seeing it, too, because I love the fact that you see the nation finally starting to recognize what really is one of the better rivalries in the NFL. And I think part of what makes it so good is that it's younger than a lot of the rivalries out there. And so the you know all of the sort of the way that the rivalry is approached, the social media play within the rivalry, all of it is very much in today's world, uh, and because of that, I think that it's a lot of fun, and I think that it's a good rivalry to keep putting out there in front of people. So I love seeing it two years in a row now at Thanksgiving, and hope that they keep it up. Talking now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered in the Locked On Saints podcast. I think they should be keeping it up, because after all you think about it, the Saints are quickly becoming the top draw in the NFL. The early ratings came out, and last night's, uh, excuse me, Thursday night's win over the Falcons, the clinched NFC South was the most watched Thursday primetime show on any network in more than two months, it's safe to say that Houdat Nation definitely wants to see their, see them boys succeed. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the things that you see at every almost every single week with those primetime games. You see New Orleans up in the top ten for ratings, whether or not their team is playing. Just the city itself and that market itself, the entire Gulf Coast region. Just, I mean, look. They love. We love football. <laughs> it's that simple. And so when you when you know you see the Saints playing in particular, but then also even when they're not, and it's just a game that interests them because it's a division rival or an understanding of you know who's on top in the conference that fans want to watch. You're going to get a lot of turnover from that point in the market. So if they continue to take advantage of it, it just gives New Orleans and the rest of the, the Gulf Coast region an opportunity to establish themselves within you know actually as they already are. Uh, a little bit further within that national uh, ratings march there. All right, now we're going to kind of get, get back over to the ball game that happened last night in Atlanta. I think obviously we got to bring up Drew Brees, not necessarily like the most like prolific game in the world, mind you. It's kind of been the MO for Drew Brees in this month of November, or as I've put it, NFC South November. I feel like right now you just look at Drew Brees, it's not necessarily like the all-world numbers we expect, but he's still getting the job done. Yeah, absolutely, and he's still playing a very good game. I mean, he's still efficient, no turnovers. He wasn't sacked at all yesterday, and some of that had to do, I mean, a lot of that had to do with his offensive line, but some of it just had to do with his style of play, too, getting the ball out quickly on those passing attempts. And then also his just mobility in the pocket was really good uh, on that Thursday night game. He, I mean, he played a great game. He's not going to always have, you know, 30 of 39 for 311 yards and, and three touchdowns like he did against the Panthers, but you still see him absolutely be the guy that is the leader of a team that has so many ways to score against you that even when you have a game to where Drew Brees, uh, well, technically he threw a touchdown, it was a shovel pass, but, you know, you didn't see Drew Brees throw his style of touchdown. You didn't see Alvin Kamara with any touchdowns this game, Michael Thomas, Jerry Cook, but they can still come out and beat you. Uh, and he's the leader of a unit that has the ability to do that in many, many different ways. It was interesting to see what he was able to do, but I think it was more. We talked. We talked about it after the Atlanta Falcons lost. The way that 
kind of offensive line for the Saints underwhelmed. We saw Drew Brees under pressure a lot. The, that story flipped over on Thursday night. We saw the Saints defense get nine sacks, four of which came from Cam Jordan. The first time we've seen somebody do that since all the way back in the 90s for a Saints player. Back in 1997 was the last time we saw somebody put up four sacks. What can you say about Cam Jordan? And more importantly, was he channeling his inner Dwayne Wayne in his uh, post-game attire? It certainly seemed like it, right? <laughs> so funny. I thought that same thing. Um, yeah, man, look, Cam Jordan, outstanding, outstanding game from that defensive line. The Saints are in a place right now, and, and Saints fans should take note about the fact that they rotate eight guys on the defensive line every game, and they keep those pass rushers fresh, whether they be in the interior or on the edge. And that's one of the things that's really special about this unit is, is, is their rotation. But also, even the interior guys are pass rushers. Sheldon Rankins, David Onyemata, Malcolm Brown, Shy Tuttle, we saw yesterday, uh, we saw him uh, have a great, great game on Thursday. And so, you know, all of these guys on the interior are just as much pass rushers as the guys over on the edge. And so you saw all three of the edge guys get there. But Cam Jordan leading the way, pacing with the four sacks. And of course, now, uh, you know, of course, we should recognize that the rest of week 13 has yet to be played. That'll be on Sunday. But right now, he sits on top of the NFL with 13 and a half sacks. That's a new career high for him. He's number two now on the Saints all time sack list with 85 sacks. That puts him only 30 behind Ricky Jackson. And this is exactly what he signed on to stay in New Orleans for was to continue to have a season like this and continue to have more seasons like this throughout the rest of his playing career. He wanted to be able to do it in New Orleans and be a legacy guy, and he's showing you exactly what, how much that meant to him uh, so far this season, uh, for sure. I mean, he's got four games left at 13 and a half sacks, so uh, I mean, he's, he, he looks like he's going to end up with a really, really good season here and should be in conversation for some uh, Defensive Player of the Year conversation if he keeps this up. I think he definitely should. Ross talking right now. Once again, Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked on Saints podcast. And whenever I mentioned the Dwayne Wayne, I had to make sure to just make sure to pronounce that Wayne part just right because people might not have gotten what I was talking about, obviously, with a little throwback to a different world. Because when I saw those shades, I'm like, my God, man, you, you're already my favorite player. Quit trying to up the game even more. I know, right? Every time he comes out here, and he's always rocking something different. He came out with the curly mustache at the beginning. And he's coming out with a different world. Like now, I love it, man. I, I, Cam Jordan, like he's one of those guys where, like, you see him, you see what he does in the post game pressers, or you see what he does in the pre game interviews, things like that, and uh, the way the way that he interacts with media and all, and the way he interacts with the fan base. And he's just somebody that clearly has a career ahead of him beyond uh, the NFL or beyond playing in the NFL. He's somebody that very clearly could move directly into radio or you know, be one of those national coverage guys out there as an analyst, too. He's somebody that's really, really got the chops for that. He's got the chops for it, and I think he could wind up doing a bang-up job all the way around in his post-NFL career. I would hope it'd be like on, a, on a, the TV side of things because I think Cam Jordan on radio, it wouldn't translate nearly as well, obviously, because I feel like I'd love to see Cam Jordan just break out all the style points when it comes down to it, I think that's a big reason why I just be. Lo- I'm looking forward to seeing the Saints potentially make it to the Super Bowl because you know Super Bowl media days. Cam Jordan would probably oh. be the be the absolute highlight. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, and then, oh, the other reason why I would love to see him on television is just he, he's so expressive. He's so expressive in the way that he looks at the camera and the way he lets you know, like, this is how I'm really feeling, despite what I'm saying. Uh, love him for it. But, yeah, man, absolutely. Get them to the Super Bowl for nothing else. I mean, yes, get them in the Super Bowl to get them in the Super Bowl, but Cam Jordan on Super Bowl Media Day would be a ton of fun to watch. It would be a ton of fun. I think we got to, obviously, now we talked about a lot of the positives. Let's, let's talk about the negatives now on, in Thursday night's win over the Falcons. 
I think we can obviously go at one thing and one thing only. That is, the hands team definitely not showing up. I have never seen that before. Technically, it's two straight onside kicks, but we're going to count the third one. So three straight onside kicks, and the Falcons recovered all three of them. I am sitting here in the final minutes of the game at my house, and I'm just like shaking my head, wondering what the hell is going on here. Yeah, I mean, this was something that Sean Payton was clearly very upset about in the moment and was still upset about at the post-game presser for sure. Uh, and even he was asking the question, you know, why are we lined up so far off? This is something we're going to have to look at, and I'm going to get it fixed. And so all of a sudden that verbiage changed from we, 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 we to I'm going to get this fixed as if he were saying this is this is something that. And this is one of the things that, you know, you bring in a guy like Darren Rizzi, who was one of the best special teams coordinators in the NFL. You bring him in to eliminate issues like that. You didn't see any of those types of issues with West Off. The Saints now have had, if you count, like I, I'm with you, if you count last night's onside kick, Lotsy that was going on. It's three separate onside kicks. That's five that they've seen so far this year, and they've yet to recover any of them because they had two up against the Chicago Bears where one was recovered, and then the next one was actually recovered, but the player was out of bounds, and so they had to re-kick it, and it went out of bounds. So technically it's six total that this hand team has been on the field for, and they've not recovered any of them. They got possession off of one because it went out of bounds, but Altogether, they've not really made the plays that they need to make on that hands team so far. So that's something that, especially in the playoffs, if you come to a place where you're ahead by a score, you're going to come up against that situation, and you don't want to give a playoff offense another shot with by giving up any of those onside kicks. Exactly. You don't want to give up any onside kicks, and honestly, you want to try and recover one. We're nearing that 10-year anniversary, Ross, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing, too, is when you look at what it is for for the Saints and how important this is 10 years later at this point coming in, potentially having a shot to go back to the exact same place 10 years ago where they had that Super Bowl victory. You don't want to do that. And, and, I mean, look, look at what they did and what it was that brought them the first Super Bowl ring when you look at um, we look at the big play call that uh, ambush. When you look at the ambush play call uh, coming out of the first half, going into the second half of that Colts uh, Super Bowl game. I mean, you want your hand team out there. You need to be able to trust those guys, if not for yourself, then to at least manage a win and maintain a win if you're ahead late. And now we're going to talk about what I think everybody was absolutely loving last night, not just in the game, social media, everything, and that is the Shy Tuttle big boy interception where he looked like he was about to get a pick six. But more importantly, like rank that stiff arm on Matt Ryan amongst like some of the great rivalry moments between the Saints and Falcons because I feel like this one is towards the tippy top. Yeah, I mean it's pretty high up there. I mean you have a couple of obvious ones like you have both of the block. I mean you can add another block punt to the list now, but you have the block punt with Steve Gleason. You have the Michael Motti block punt uh, that was on the anniversary game. Uh, and then uh, you've got a couple others as well, but I mean, uh, this shy tough one was pretty high up there, especially with this, the Saints fans' passion, and I would even say the Saints' defensive passion against Ryan. This was absolutely one of those moments that is just going to be sort of a frame. You know, you can frame that poster of uh, of Shy Tuttle as he's pushing off of uh, pushing Matt Ryan down to the ground, and then put that up there as one of the definite. I'm working on getting like the technology to make gifts frameable because I think that's the biggest thing I think we all need is to have the gift <laughs> of the full uh, motion. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it just it just put that bad boy in the Hall of Fame like right now. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I mean, look, 
Shai Tuttle is somebody that, if I could just if I could just rave on him for a second, he's somebody that undrafted free agent rookie coming out of Tennessee. Um, you know, he's he, he's uh, kind of an undersized guy, and he plays in the defensive interior, but he's somebody that has a little bit of that versatility to where he can play off the edge as well. We've seen him do that a couple times this year. And so just for him, too, the stiff arm was great. The run was great. But even just the awareness and the reaction ability to get his hand up and then get that interception, even just the catch itself was actually pretty phenomenal uh, from this guy that is, you know, an, an interior defensive lineman. And so you just see a little bit of his athletic ability, which is something that, you know, you could see as a positive on many of the scouting reports. You see that Ryan Nielsen, one of the most underrated uh, assistant coaches out there for the Saints, the Saints D-line coach, has really, really uh, bought into what Shai Tuttle has brought to this game. And it's giving him opportunities to be in places where he could succeed, and Shai Tuttle's paying everybody back by making plays like that. And, you know, obviously we got to kind of look forward. The Saints already clinched the NFC South, and now they're getting ready for a big one next Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers. And this one is definitely a big-time rivalry matchup from back in the NFC West days. I think there's still some, some bad blood between these two franchises. Which way do you think this one could wind up turning out right here, right now? Because obviously we'll talk about it a lot next Saturday. But give me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be one of those games that is uh, going to be a little hard to call just because, look, you're watching the Saints come off with some pretty inconsistent victories here, but victories nonetheless. The biggest issue for the Saints has just been that inconsistency. But, of course, they've also been playing for these past four games, as you mentioned, Division November or NFC South November. This has been four very familiar opponents that know them very well. Now, all of a sudden, they're going up against teams that they haven't played in some time. You know, San Francisco 49ers, uh, Indianapolis, Tennessee Titans, none of those guys have played against Michael Thomas and, and Alvin Kamara. And so if you're disappointed at all in the performance that you saw in any of these players or any of these skill position stars that the Saints have marched out on the field during uh, Thursday's game, I think you could walk into a situation now to where they're able to take advantage of some mismatches. They're able to take advantage of some defenses that haven't that they're able to uh, if they're able to do as they've done so far this entire season and perform very well against good pass rushers and they're able to limit the run game and that would severely limit what San Francisco likes to do on both sides of the ball and New Orleans should come out of that following weekend if they can do all those things they've got a 10-day break here to prep and get ready for San Francisco and San Francisco by the way coming to New Orleans off of playing of what is going to be a hard-fought game in Baltimore as well the Saints should walk out of that game as the uh, number one seed in the NFC. Or sorry, the NFC conference. That'll be interesting to see what happens there, Ross. But you know, obviously, there's no Saints football on Sunday. So what the heck are you going to wind up doing, Ross? Are you just going to sit back and watch that 49ers Ravens game? Yeah, I'm definitely watching the 49ers and Ravens game. Um, a little bit, uh, you know, undercover. I'm a little bit of a Bills guy as well. I really like to see the Bills win. And so, but they also played on Thursday, so I won't be watching them either. So I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do this week? But I, I think uh, definitely it's going to be that San Francisco and uh, Baltimore game for sure. And, you know, obviously rooting for Baltimore the whole way there and Mark Ingram hopefully to help the Saints out again the way he did. Uh, yeah, look, I will say Mark Ingram somebody that doesn't play for the Saints anymore, but definitely went into his last primetime game up against Los Angeles Rams, still with something to prove, carrying some of that heartbreak from the NFC Championship game with him. So I'll be looking for him to uh, help the Ravens beat up on the 49ers and serve the 49ers to the uh, up to New Orleans the following weekend, a little beat up. Ross, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. I'm enjoying it. Have a great rest of your Thanksgiving weekend, bro. You as well, my friend. Thank you so much, man. Happy holidays. See you. I'll talk to you next week. All right, that was Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked on Saints podcast. Love talking to that cat. Absolutely just enjoy the heck 
out of just conversations with him in general. We were texting. Like, right at that shy Tuttle stiff arm, I had to text him like, immediately. It's like, bruh, what just happened? This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I'm, I'm so glad I was able to get a gif of it. But we'll take a quick timeout. We'll wrap up the show next. One final take. And I think everybody's going to agree with it. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 TheGame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I got just enough time to kind of spit this hot take out for you on this Saturday afternoon to wrap up the program. And of course... It revolves around Rivalry Weekend. It is probably the greatest weekend in all of sports. And I think Thursday night football proved that a lot. Not just on the pro side, but on the college football side of the gridiron with the, I guess you could say the piss six, the old piss, the entire thing that happened with the dog celebration, touchdown, in the final moments of Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Let me just put it this way. We need more of those kind of moments. I know everybody doesn't want to have the celebrations. The NFL is called the No Fun League for a reason. And college football, that's a 15-yard penalty for celebrations like that. Give me those moments no matter what. Because guess what? We wouldn't have talked about Ole Miss and Mississippi State if it wasn't for the Miss PAT after the cel- thanks to the celebration that pushed it back 15 yards. We probably wouldn't talk about the Egg Bowl. Give me the rivalries with a lot of juice behind them because, trust me, nobody would be talking about this game between two teams that were just fighting for bowl eligibility. No one would have talked about it, especially not me. I'm a guy who doesn't mind talking a lot about these games that are relatively meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Give me those kind of games and also give me just a lot of fun ones as well. But on that note, I'm about done on this Saturday afternoon. Thanks a lot to everybody for joining the program. As always, Steve Lassen coming aboard at 1030. Tim Rebo, thanks to him for joining the program. So close to kickoff between themselves, the Colonels, in Thibodeau, taking on North Dakota. And Ross Jackson, the good brother, we just had him on. You can check out all the interviews on demand right now at 1037thegame.com. And I am out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. LSU football coming up 6 o'clock kick, 4 o'clock pregame right here on 103.7 The Game. Going for 12-0, and and that's a rivalry game, baby. Give, give me give me some juice on this one, please. Give me some juice, and we got to have ourselves a whole heck of a lot of fun. We'll be back with you next Saturday, getting ready for Championship Saturday, SEC title game, Sunbelt title game. Who knows what else I'll get into. We'll break that down next week. Peace out, everybody. Wake up! The show's over! Oh yeah! Kick it!